This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Elon Musk completed his on-off-on takeover of Twitter, closing the deal at $44 billion. The world's richest man swiftly sacked the social media platform's CEO, Parag Agarwal, and several other top executives. It was reported that Mr. Musk is to play the role of CEO himself, as he does already at Tesla and SpaceX, and to lift lifetime bans for some users. Despite promising to limit censorship on the site, Mr. Musk must also convince advertisers that Twitter will not descend into a free-for-all. Ads constituted nearly nine-tenths of Twitter's revenues last year. Germany's economy unexpectedly grew by 0.3% in the third quarter of the year, as high energy prices and rising interest rates dampened growth across Europe. France and Spain slowed to a 0.2% growth in the same period. Earlier, America's economy expanded by 2.6% in the third quarter, its strongest annualised growth rate since last year, largely due to a drop in imports and a surge in exports. Ukraine's President Vladimir Zelensky said that Russia has launched more than 30 drone strikes in the past two days. Western officials believe that the deployed kamikaze drones are being supplied by Iran, although the country denies it. Mr. Zelensky said that Ukraine has endured 4,500 missile strikes and more than 8,000 air raids, but pledged to clip the wings of the Kremlin's air forces. Japan's Prime Minister Fumio Kishida announced an extra budget to expand by 68% the size of a stimulus package now worth a total of 71.6 trillion yen, equivalent to $490 billion. The spending is supposed to ease the burdens imposed by inflation and to defend the government's meagre popularity. The Bank of Japan, meanwhile, left its benchmark rate steady in ultra-low territory the day after the European Central Bank doubled its own. Amazon's share price plummeted by about 15% in post-session trading. The e-retailer's quarterly revenues grew by 15% year-on-year to $127.1 billion, but fell short of forecasts. Net income declined by 9% to $2.9 billion. Apple, meanwhile, beat analysts' expectations and reported record results for the July to September quarter. Revenues for the iPhone maker rose by 8% year-on-year to $90.1 billion. Net income was $20.7 billion. Intel said it would look to hack as much as $10 billion by 2025 from its annual costs, following a worse-than-expected earnings release. The American chipmaker reported third-quarter revenue of $15.3 billion, down 20% year-on-year. Much of the savings is expected to come from job cuts. The firm blamed weak demand for the PCs that carry its chips. The IMF cut its forecast for economic growth in Asia this year from 4.3% to 4%. The fund said a myriad of factors were weighing on the region, including rising interest rates and inflation, an unrelated slowdown in China and the war in Ukraine. The region grew by 6.5% in 2021. And fact of the day, 61%. The share of countries where adherence to the rule of law fell in the past year, 
according to the World Justice Project. And now here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Meta's unhappy anniversary. One year ago on Friday, Mark Zuckerberg changed the name of his company from Facebook to Meta. Under that new banner, just about everything has gone wrong. Earlier this year, the company reported its first year-on-year drop in quarterly revenue and the first decline in users of Facebook, its social network. Investors hoped it was a blip, but on Wednesday, Meta said quarterly revenue had fallen again, by 4%, and predicted it would drop in the next quarter, too. In response, the company's share price plunged by nearly a quarter. But these are mere earthly problems. Mr. Zuckerberg believes his company's future lies in the metaverse, an online space to work, play, and watch ads. Meta has spent tens of billions of dollars building it, but fewer than 200,000 people reportedly use Meta's flagship metaverse app. One day the metaverse may take off. The question is whether Meta which has lost more than 70% of its market value this year, will still be around then. The Beat of a Different Drum in Pakistan On Friday, Imran Khan begins a protest march from the eastern city of Lahore to Islamabad, the capital. Pakistan's former prime minister demands that elections scheduled for next year, are brought forward. Mr. Khan was ousted earlier this year by a vote of no confidence. He is hoping that a show of street power will pile pressure on the government to dissolve parliament. The former cricketer-turned-politician has gathered support by spinning a fantastical tale of an American plot to oust him from office. He recently presented himself as a headline candidate In a clutch of by-elections, he won six of seven seats. Mr. Khan's march adds to Pakistan's other political and economic woes. Massive flooding this monsoon season caused an estimated $40 billion in damages. The country is battling high inflation and energy shortages, as well as seeking $27 billion in debt rescheduling, much of it from China. If the government cracks down on Mr. Khan's march, more political turmoil will follow. More gushing profits for Exxon On Friday, ExxonMobil releases its results for the third quarter. America's largest oil firm has already hinted that it probably won't match the record $17.9 billion in profits it posted for the previous quarter, but that it will come close, despite oil prices falling from their dizzying heights after Russia invaded Ukraine. Cheaper crude, a result of Russia's continued exports, and the slowing global economy, combined with lower refinery margins to dent Exxon's haul. But margins were boosted by sales of pricey natural gas, especially to energy-starved Europe. Now, gas prices have receded, but oil prices are up again, boosted by a big cut to the monthly output target of OPEC+, a cartel of producers. Exxon still has worries, such as its clash with America's energy secretary, 
over caps on fuel exports. Earlier in October, the company left Russia empty-handed after President Vladimir Putin expropriated some of its Russian assets. But for the foreseeable future, energy scarcity will keep boosting their bottom line. Northern Ireland heads to elections again. Northern Ireland has had no regional government since February. Both of its two biggest parties can block the other from governing. Sinn Féin, which won its first election in May, wants a united Ireland. The runner-up Democratic Unionist Party wants to keep Northern Ireland British. At midnight on Friday, six months since the last election, their time to re-establish a power-sharing government ran out, triggering a fresh election. It will probably be held on December 15th. Both parties are expected to consolidate their positions with voters. Whichever wins, their main contention on the Northern Ireland Protocol that created a new Irish sea border with Britain after Brexit will remain unresolved. To prevent the region from stagnating in the meantime, Westminster may give more power to civil servants, who effectively ran the country the last time the government collapsed in 2017. Then it took three years to replace them with politicians. The lengthy backlog of undertaken government decisions looks set to grow. When Harry Met Harry On Friday, Bros, one of Hollywood's first gay romantic comedies, is released in Britain. Co-written by its star, Billy Eichner, of Parks and Recreation, and by its director, Nicholas Stoller, of Forgetting Sarah Marshall, the film is a sweetly old-fashioned New York rom-com in many respects. Mr. Eichner plays a celebrity podcaster who doesn't want a long-term relationship, but might be persuaded by a hunky lawyer played by Luke McFarlane, who he meets at a party. The film is anxious to mark itself apart from heterosexual smash hits, making copious references to grinder, poppers, threesomes, and foursomes. It also takes some satirical swipes at Brokeback Mountain and other gay-themed dramas with straight casts. The numerous LGBT characters in Bros are all played by LGBT actors. American box office sales have so far disappointed. Mr. Eichner partly blamed homophobia, but the fact is that grown-up, sincere romantic comedies are out of fashion, whatever the sexuality of their leads. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Friday. Which singer-songwriter gave a rapid tour of modern history in his song, We Didn't Start the Fire? Thursday. Which American swimmer was the star of a series of aqua musicals in the late 1940s and early 50s?
The winners of last week's crossword. Thank you to everyone who took part in our new weekly crossword, published in the weekend edition of Espresso. The winners chosen at random from each continent were Asia, Oliver Davies, Hong Kong, China, North America, Michael Zanatis, Calgary, Canada, Central and South America, Sebastian Algodelo Restrepo, Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic, Europe, Imad Orif, Edinburgh, United Kingdom, Africa, Christine Ryder, Tunis, Tunisia, Oceania, Richard Leon, Greenwich, Australia. They all gave the correct answers of restitution, riad, truss, and nature. Check back tomorrow for this week's crossword. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Sylvia Plath. The abstract kills. The concrete saves. That's the world in brief from The Economist. Available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.